thank you for thank joining you. our award-winning podcast. This is Roosevelt, and you're joining us on Auto Network Reports. Our special guest today is Mr. Jonathan Eisen from the Peterson Automotive Museum. And we have a very, very special Black History Month presentation. We have Mr. David Bolt here from TexGarage.com to contribute, hanging out in, I guess he's back in Virginia. And we have Mr. Greg Morrison, Bumper to Bumper TV, hanging out in, I guess it's not hot Atlanta. <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> but anyway, I always say, if you know an African-American male that's 30 years or older, I should say now any male, make sure he visits his urologist and get that PSA exam. I always say it's that little prick that could possibly save his life. Also, please subscribe to the social media sites of all the uh, panelists and the participants for the day. Show them some love, some hugs, some kisses, whatever they do out there nowadays in social media land. You can find us on blackpressusa.com. We have the section there under transportation, auto network under Black Press USA. Why don't we get right into the Black History Month special presentation today. Like I said, we have Jonathan Eisen from the Peterson Automotive Museum. And Jonathan has a special exhibit there that he's going to talk about, which I find I find interesting and hadn't had really forgotten about. And that's the Negro Motorist Green Book. <laughs> and the Green Book exhibit is at, at Peterson. Jonathan Tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about the exhibit itself. Uh, well, I'm associate curator here at the Peterson. So I, I'm uh, uh, one of the people that uh, puts together our exhibits. Uh, you know, we're one of the largest automobile museums in America. Um, and uh, this exhibit is put together by the Smithsonian Institute Traveling Exhibits Program. So it's been uh, traveling the country uh, for the past, I guess, two years. Um, and it's uh, kind of a different uh, type of exhibit for us. You know, we normally have uh, uh, cars in our exhibit, but this is about a piece of history that's automotive related. Um, and uh, we're, we're really happy to have it. It was uh, curated by Candace Taylor, who wrote a great book about the Green Book called Overground Railroad. Um, and of course, uh, the story of the Green Book is, is a really fascinating piece of uh, American history and African-American history. Uh, so it's a uh, you know, real honor to have it during uh, Black History Month. Uh, my background is in uh, screenwriting, so I've always been a storyteller. So I, like, uh, I really like having this exhibit here because uh, you know, it's a very human story um, and uh, a real fascinating piece of, of history. So for those who may not be familiar, tell us what exactly is the Green Book? Well, the Green Book was a travel guide for African-Americans. It was published for 30 years uh, from 1936 to 1967. It was started by a man named Victor Hugo Green, who was a postal carrier who lived in uh, Harlem, New York, he lived across the street from Duke Ellington. Uh, he uh, uh, delivered the mail in New Jersey, actually. Uh, in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey, right near where I'm from, funny enough. Uh, and uh, his wife, Alma, she was from Richmond, Virginia. And so Victor and Alma used to take trips down to Virginia from New York and, um, uh, you know, road trips. 
And so uh, we're pretty sure that that's what inspired him to start this uh, travel guide. And so what it was, was, you know, listings of businesses uh, during the Jim Crow era that would accommodate uh, African-Americans. And, uh, you know, this was especially necessary in the South, but also all around the country, uh, which was filled with, you know, sundown towns and whatnot. Um, in a and, sundown uh, town, for those who may not know. <laughs> a sundown town was a town where blacks weren't welcome after dark. Uh, and they would put up signs that said, uh, you know, something to the effect that when the sun goes down, make sure you're, <laughs> make sure you're not seen here. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. One thing that I think is surprising for people who aren't familiar with black history is, uh, you know, why would a guide like this be necessary in the North or in the West in places, you know, that we all know that the South is where uh, Jim Crow was, was uh, most prevalent. But as uh, Ms. Taylor points out in the book, you know, when you were in the South, you would come across a business and it would say whites only in the window. But uh, that uh, didn't happen in the North and the West. So having a guide telling you where you would be uh, you know, accommodated to avoid humiliation, uh, even violence sometimes was really important. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're on the road, many service stations wouldn't, um, you know, uh, uh, serve African-Americans. It was hard to find a, a bathroom. It was hard to find a place to eat. It was hard to find a place to fill up your car. Uh, so, you know, all these things were in the book. And, uh, uh, business would pay a small fee to be listed in the book. It was pretty much just lists of businesses with their address. Um, and it became, you know, a real uh, vital tool to have uh, in, in the middle of the 20th century. You know, I lived in Indiana, Michigan City, Indiana, in the mid-70s. Mid and I went into a park, and there was a nice entrance to the park that said, N word, don't get caught in this park after dark. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I know I can imagine what it was like back in the 30s or 40s. And that's that's Michigan City, Indiana. Yes. Yeah, you have no adjacency to the Kentuckys or Southern Ohio's or any of that. That's Michigan right. City. It's closest to Chicago, I would guess. Yes. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Yeah. Questions, guys? I do have one that I and a question and a remembrance I want to share. My parents had a copy of the Green Book as late as the 60s um, for a trip from Pittsburgh to parts of Virginia to visit relatives. It was an old dog-eared copy, but my parents kept it because they weren't sure where we could stop and get whatever services we need without being hassled. And in the green room before we started, ironically, Roosevelt were comparing uh, uh, comparing notes. And I can remember going on road trips with my parents and seeing the pretty Howard Johnsons and restaurants along the side of the road and saying, how come we can't stop there? No, we're going to stop up ahead at a little pic roadside picnic table to avoid that confrontation. You point out that the Green Book also covered parts of the North and the West, which is something that most people don't think about, that going to Arizona or to California was a major challenge for African-American motorists. When you look at it in retrospect, are you surprised at the number of listings that were in this book 
and the fact that African-American motorists felt the need for this kind of document to make sure they could get it from point A to point B safely? Uh, you know, am I surprised? I, I mean, sadly, no. Uh, obviously, it's not something that I personally have ever had to experience. But as someone who, you know, has read a lot of history, uh, you know, I, I'm well aware of this country's, uh, you know, history of, of racism and discrimination. So uh, I, I'd say it doesn't surprise me. Um, one thing that, you know, like you said, is a little surprising is why would they need this in a place like California? Uh, but then when you dig deeper into the history, you know, a lot of this is hidden history. It's things that African-Americans didn't talk about because it was difficult to talk about. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, whites didn't talk about because uh, they didn't want to. They didn't, they didn't want to tell these stories. Uh, you know, I live in a town called La Cañada, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, and it was a sundown town. Los Angeles was surrounded by sundown towns. And you'd think, well, L.A. is a progressive city. Uh, but, you know, uh, a lot of times these smaller towns around these progressive cities weren't so progressive. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, I, I guess sadly it doesn't surprise me. Uh, what's great about the book is that the book itself doesn't necessarily dwell on the dangers. You know, the book, the way Victor Green wrote the book, he had humorous essays in it, and he really knew it was a tool, and he wanted to encourage African-Americans to go out, take vacations, live normal lives, you know, see the country. Uh, the road was freedom. Uh, you know, there was, in the middle of the 20th century, there was a, a thriving black middle class. People could afford cars. And people bought cars because, you know, public transportation was segregated. You know, African-Americans, you know, had the, uh, you know, the, the waiting rooms that were for African-Americans were always the ones that were either not air conditioned or not heated. Uh, so to free yourself from discrimination and humiliation, you got a car and you got on the road. And this book was a tool to make sure, you know, that your trip was safe and, and enjoyable. And, uh, and that's what the book was all about. You know, I, I'm, I was interested in seeing that, I guess it was the SO service stations were one of the first to really cater to African American motorists. And not only that, they're probably one of the first major industries that allowed African Americans to have franchises. So back back then, I think I read that there was something like 800 plus SO service stations and 300 plus were African-American owned. Yeah. Yeah. SO was probably the most progressive corporation in America uh, in the early part of the 20th century and through the mid 20th century. Uh, John D. Rockefeller's wife, uh, her parents were uh, um, uh, abolitionists in the 19th century. So she grew up in a house where civil rights uh, were important. That house actually was a stop on the Underground Railroad. So, uh, you know, I think her influence encouraged Rockefeller to reach out to the African-American community. And obviously there were uh, two reasons why to do that. One was the moral reason. And the other was it was a sound business decision. You know, here was a huge untapped market. Uh, so, yeah, they hired African-Americans at all levels of the company from uh, you know, service station attendants to executives, and they sold franchises to African Americans. Uh, they sold green books at every SO station, so you knew where to get a green book. You knew where you could fill up with gas. You knew where you could go to the bathroom. 
uh, and Esso stations became like a, a beacon to uh, black travelers. Uh, there was a, a very prominent uh, uh, marketing exec at Esso um, who was hired, uh, I think, in the late 30s. And um, uh, Victor Green actually wrote an article in the Green Book about his hiring. And he, uh, I think before he was at, uh, when he started out at Esso, he would travel the country, um, you know, um, I guess scouting for different Esso locations and whatnot. And he used the Green Book. So he reached out to Victor Green and they kind of created this partnership where the SO stations would uh, sell the Green Book and advertise in the Green Book. Um, but it's a pretty remarkable story that, that you know, in that era and at that time, uh, SO was, you know, thoroughly integrated top to bottom. Jonathan, do you have any idea of how many businesses were actually listed in the Green Book? Uh, total, I think it's around 10,000 um over the course of 31 years um and uh from every state except north dakota funny enough uh, not a very uh, big uh, african-american population in north dakota and i guess uh, probably not much reason to uh, road trip to north dakota uh, but yeah I, I think it was around 10,000 listed uh, la interestingly enough had over 200 i think about 230 and that was the second most Green Book sites listed. New York was at the top, uh, you know, at the very beginning. Uh, the first edition only covered New York. Um, and then quickly it started to spread. The second edition uh, spread over the uh, eastern half of the country. And then soon it was nationwide. And then eventually, you know, he listed locations in the Caribbean, Mexico. He had an international edition that uh, had listings in Europe. Um, uh, you know, it went from the, uh, the Negro Motorist Green Book to the Negro Travelers Green Book. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, 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 there were a lot of different. And, you know, what's great, is, too, is, is all kinds of businesses were listed. Anything from luxury hotels to tourist homes, which were sort of that era's version of Airbnb, where you, you know, have a room in somebody's house. Beauty parlors, nightclubs, service stations, pretty much anything you can think of was in the green book um, and uh, you know it, it uh, they were businesses that catered to people of every economic strata you know I think you know like when you saw the movie the green book from a few years ago you think that all these businesses were kind of ramshackle rundown um, um, you know, places but they weren't you know in in LA you had the, the Biltmore you had the Ambassador Hotel uh, Hotel Dunbar really you know high-class places uh, because there were people of every economic means that, that used the book. Well, you raised a point there that I'll share a quick story with you. You'll appreciate. Uh, my grandfather was an undertaker in Boston and did very well and had a very nice LaSalle and was uh -huh. driving from Boston to St. Louis one year for a Masonic convention. My father was with him. My dad told the story. They come around this road in Kentucky and couple of good old boys decided to stand out in the middle of the road with their guns telling, challenging my grandfather as to where he got the car and then telling him he had to go back and come around another way. Um, and it was right after that that my grandfather started buying copies of the Green Book so he would avoid that kind of confrontation of future travel. Uh, does that sound, does that match up with the kind of stories that you've uh, heard and picked up over the years on this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And in, uh, in the, both the exhibit and in Candace Taylor's book, uh, she uh, talks about that 
uh, a lot. Uh, one story that she tells, which is great and which is in the exhibit, is um, you know a lot of African Americans would bring props with them in the car. So especially somebody like that who had a nice car like a LaSalle, uh, you know you uh, you know it, it, it wouldn't be uh, unusual for you to get pulled over by a racist police officer who didn't believe that was your car, right? Because they didn't think that uh, you know a, a black person could own a car like that. So often uh, you would keep a prop in, in the car with you, one being a chauffeur's hat. So if you got pulled over in, in your car and uh, the police officer didn't believe it was yours, you'd dop, don the cap and say, uh, you know, this is my boss's car. You know, I'm either driving it to uh, get it filled up with gas or if you had your wife in the car, you'd say something like, uh, you know, I'm driving the help home. Um, and, uh, you know, these were techniques that unfortunately African-Americans had to uh, used at that time, you know, but the, the story of the Green Book and the story of the exhibit is is one of resilience and, um, you know, one of African-Americans succeeding in, in, you know, the worst possible environment. I, I know you haven't been with Peterson that long, Jonathan, you certainly haven't been there the 30 years of the museum itself, but can you speak to any other socially relevant, socially relative exhibits that the Peterson might have done over the years that have a similar impact or speak to audiences that aren't necessarily visiting the Peterson normally? Um, I mean, uh, we try to reach out to, you know, every community. Uh, you know, we've had uh, um, uh, a big uh, lowriders show uh, and we have another one coming up that uh, really uh, talks about the, um, uh, you know, not just the cars, and, uh, but also uh, their uh, cultural importance. Uh, so, you know, like uh, Lowriders, you know, a very big part of uh, the Hispanic community and the reasons why are very interesting. You know, uh, uh, Hispanics were often, uh, like any, any other uh, group of color, you know, they were welcome in traditional uh, car communities. Uh, and in the middle part of the 20th century, you know, hot rods were big with uh, uh, car buffs. And uh, since uh, Hispanics weren't, you know, welcome, uh, uh, they kind of uh, invented their own community where their cars, instead of being uh, high and fast, were low and slow, right? Uh, and uh, uh, so that's a story that we've told in the past and we're telling again next year. Um, so, yeah, we've... You know, like you said, I've only been here a year and a half, so I can't speak for uh, every exhibit that's uh, been here. But, um, you know, these types of stories are important to the Peterson. Uh, they're important to Los Angeles being a huge, diverse city. Uh, you know, it's, it's very important to us to, to feature exhibits that, uh, you know, cater to uh, all the different niches here. You know, you can find people from every background in L.A. Uh, so we, we try to tell stories that you know, reflect the diversity of our city. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of uh, shows uh, that are about uh, Japanese cars that are, you know, uh, been very popular with the Asian community. Um, so yeah, yeah, we, we try to tell, you know, we try to tell every story. You, no, I'm you it. Oh, go ahead, Rosa. Go, no, go ahead, Dave, continue. Go uh, ahead. I, 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 very much want to get back to the Green Book, but I'm also curious. You have a lot of square footage at the museum devoted to kids' endeavors, bringing children with you. When I'm there, you always have lines at the ticket window. And 
those lines are often composed largely of families, families with young kids. And there are a lot of museums in the U.S. that really don't want kids. You know, kids touch things and they mess things up. But obviously the Peterson doesn't take that approach. And you've got organized, structured activities for children that are a lot of fun to look at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. I'm glad you, you think so. But yes, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, um, car culture, it's, it's important to uh, keep, keep it going from generation to generation. You know, I, I think there's the, the stereotypical uh, baby boomer, uh, you know, car buff, but uh, uh, kids love cars, you know, and, and cars are something that we've all experienced. Everybody of every age has been in a car. Uh, so it's important to... Uh, make sure that the museum is fun for everybody and there's something here that uh, you can relate to no matter how old you are or where you come from uh, and you know cars are are tactile you know it's, it's not a, a precious painting or a sculpture you know they're, they're things that that you can touch that everybody's touched um, mm -hmm. yeah, so um, uh, and you know yeah keeping people uh, Encouraging uh, automobile enthusiasts is, is important, you know, keeping the younger generations interested in cars. You know, we're in a weird transitional time now where we're going from uh, gasoline power to electric power and maybe even cars that drive themselves. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's important to, to make sure that the younger generations see the whole uh, history of the automobile because it's the history of America. Well, so there there was a, obviously, is, there was a lot of travel. I'm sorry, Greg. Go ahead. Yeah, what comes to my mind is when Dave talks about the children's section at the museum, that's really his favorite place because <laughs> Dave is basically a big kid around cars. But uh, yeah, I, I was going to say my office is uh, kind of filled with models, uh, which regrettably, I'm pretty much at the $35 price point, Jonathan. So if I go into your gift shop at the museum, I'm treading carefully. But, uh, but that does raise a question before we get back to Roosevelt, which is he's been wanting to ask, is a copy of the book upon which your exhibit is based, is that available from the Peterson gift shop? Uh, I don't believe we have copies currently. Uh, we're trying to get copies in. What's, what's great about the book, uh, I have a copy here, Overground Railroad. Uh, there is uh, both the, uh, the regular book that uh, Candace Taylor wrote, but there's also a children's version of this book. Cool, uh, yeah. A, a book geared towards kids. So um, uh, yeah, you can't get it in the today in the gift shop, but I think it will be available in the gift shop. And obviously, uh, you know, your local bookseller, Amazon, uh, has both versions of it. Or, so, your local, or your local bookstore. Yes, absolutely, yes. your local yeah. independently owned mom and pop shop. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, was there anything in the green book? You were talking about traveling cars, and as you know, cars do break down. Was there anything in the green book about how to repair cars, what the African-Americans had to do in case their car did break down? Yeah, I think there were. Um, uh, over the course of different editions, he would put repair tips in the books. Um, uh, he would have the you know, guest authors write articles. And actually, um, there were a lot of African-American mechanics. That was a, a, a good job for, um, for African-Americans and for people in general at the time. Uh, and um, so there were a lot of independently owned um, you know, mechanic shops around the country that were run by African-Americans. Um, uh, and 
you know, again, that was a good job. So that was a, a job that paid you enough to buy a car. Uh, uh, so there are a lot of listings for mechanic shops in the book. But yeah, he, he would did have articles for repair tips or maintenance tips for your car. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, that was definitely part of the book. How long will the exhibit be at your museum? I'll be here through the first week of March. I can't remember the exact date. It's like March 10th, I think is. is mm -hmm. um, That's what I remember. Yeah. yeah. So I'll be here throughout the rest of uh, Black History Month. It's been here now for um, uh, two, two and a half months. And uh, we've got one more month to go. And I forget, uh, we were going to be the last stop, but they've actually added some more uh, venues after us. I'm not quite sure what those are, but um, uh, on Smithsonian's website, it'll give the full schedule. Uh, came to us, I believe, from Houston. Speak a little bit, of, Jonathan, if you don't, if you can, about the porters on the trains and how they contributed to the Green Book. Um, I actually don't know too much about that story, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, <laughs> funny enough. Um, yeah, that's not, uh, I, I don't, I mean, that story is touched upon, I know, in the exhibit. Uh, but, um, um, you know, I, I don't know the exhibit by heart since I obviously wasn't the curator who put it together. Um, um, yeah, but I do know that, you know, one of the big motivations of the book and uh, uh, black ownership of cars was that traveling by train wasn't always the most comfortable and welcoming experience at the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the big things we emphasize is the road was freedom, uh, not necessarily the rails. Roosevelt, can, can I take uh, just a, a slight detour with regard to the fact that this uh, is promoted uh, by the Smithsonian? Jonathan, in Los Angeles at the Peterson, I'm in the DC area with the Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian, as I understand it, has warehouses full of cars. And you'd have absolutely no idea of that based on a look at the Smithsonian or any of its galleries. And uh, do you have any thoughts, either official or unofficial, how it is that in DC we have two museums devoted to air and space and none devoted to the automobile? Uh, yeah, that's a good point, uh, and and it's it's kind of a shame. Um, I know uh, our museum used to be associated with the Natural History Museum out here, and they okay. also have a, uh, a, a automobile collection that they don't display. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, America and the automobile go hand in hand. So I, I think that's wow. a uh, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, this country was uh, you know was was built by car, and. Uh, at least in the 20th century. So yeah, there should be the National Automotive Museum. Well, why don't you work on that? We could discuss it on the next show. Yeah. That's okay. another movie, Dave. We have two movies in the works. <laughs> One from, what, last week, week before last? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure I can remember last week, Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was going to say, if one does want to find out where the exhibit is next, Jonathan, just go to the Smithsonian's uh, website and you ought to be able to uh, locate. Yeah, you should be able to find it. Yeah, the, the uh, yeah. organization within the Smithsonian is called SITES, S-I-T-E-S, Smithsonian Institution okay. Traveling Exhibits. And uh, and uh, you'll find the Green the Negro Motors Green Book exhibit on there and it should have the full schedule. I think there's at least two more uh, venues after hours. And what's up next at the Peterson that 
auto network reports viewers would like to know about? Uh, well, we've got a great, like I said, a great show coming up uh, of uh, low riders. Okay. Uh, and then we've got uh, an interesting one about uh, uh, the GM Motorama shows. We're going to have six original GM Motorama uh, dream cars. Um, we still have our uh, 75th anniversary Porsche show up here until July. We've got uh, 40 Porsches from uh, you know all eras. Um, and then you know things are always changing here. The vault is uh, filled with you know several hundred cars that are always. Uh, um, you know, uh, shifting in and out. Mm -hmm. so always, always something new to see at the Peterson. Well, good, good. Jonathan, what, what did you find to be the most interesting part of the this exhibit for you? I mean, the whole thing is really just fascinating. It's chock full of interesting stories. Uh, but like I said earlier, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, as somebody who didn't really know the details of this story, I'd heard of the Green Book, I knew what it was. Uh, but once I went into it, there's so many surprising aspects to it. Like I said, the fact that it covered the whole United States, you know, you, I, you know, I, I was always under the impression that it was for traveling through the South. Well, it wasn't, it was for traveling everywhere. Uh, because, you know, uh, uh, discrimination existed everywhere. Um, and, uh, and, and again, like I said, that it, it you know, uh, the locations in it were so varied. I find that fascinating, you know, looking through uh, old copies of the Green Book and reading Candace Taylor's book. It's like everything. Disneyland was in the Green Book, you know. Uh, these, you know, tiny uh, beauty parlors were in the Green Book, bars, nightclubs, uh, just the, the variety of, of uh, sites that were listed and uh, the variety of, of people that it uh, uh, catered to, it just, the whole thing is, is really fascinating for me. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's, in the exhibit itself, there's just something really interesting and new uh, on every panel of the exhibit that, that surprised me, but. Final comments, guys? Well, I'm Thanks. thrilled that we talked about this. I'm just, this brings back a lot of interesting memories from my own travels. And oh, um, no, um, go ahead. I, I was going to say, given, given the population that's in Los Angeles, the Peterson in and of itself is worth seeing. This is an, an additional reason to see it. So if you're in Southern California through that first week of March, I'd encourage people to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of, uh, I've spoken to a lot of younger uh, African-Americans who have uh, uh, been through it and they say, boy, you know, this, this explains so much about, you know, how my parents or grandparents uh, acted about travel. You know, because they, they grew up growing up in that era. Uh, these weren't stories that they necessarily passed on to their uh, children. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, that's kind of a really interesting aspect of it, that it answered a lot of questions for people. <laughs> Very cool. Great, Jonathan. I want to thank you for taking the time. That half hour went pretty quick. Sure did. And you're welcome to come back anytime to update us on what's going on at the at the Peterson Museum. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure Dave will keep back. us posted. <laughs> you got Thanks it. Very yeah. much. Anytime. Thanks. Thank, you, thank you for watching the live presentation of Auto Network Reports. I want to thank those who watch the On Demand. And like I said, please uh, subscribe to the panelists' social media sites. And as always, please buckle up, don't drink and drive. Buckle up, don't text and drive. 
see you next time. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Really a pleasure. Bye-bye.